Welcome, so glad that you could join us via Livestream Facebook for this special event on Easter Sunday. Thank you for taking time to hear in this message what you need. Please allow me a brief word of prayer before we begin. Father, help me to have clarity of thought. And Father, it's a beautiful message, and I pray, Lord, that I can express it and do it justice. And above all, Lord, I pray that whoever watches this will be tremendously blessed and drawn closer to you. In Jesus' name, amen. It is a very short uh, a title, What You Need, uh, and it could be a question or a statement. I'm going to be transparent with you right off the bat. Um, I'm going to share a secret with you. Um, I have a need. Um, I have a need of uh, socks and shoes. It's not because I forgot, but because, number one, I didn't want to walk around the house where my little girls play around and bring stuff from the outside. So that uh, it will be easy for you to say, when I first saw him, I thought he was altogether all good until he stepped up on that sofa and showed me his feet and uh, realized this pastor does have a need. Some needs are obvious, of course, when you do this kind of transparent confession. Yes, that guy, he needs some socks and some shoes, maybe some common sense. <laughs> the idea is this, sometimes it's easy to identify someone else's need, but sometimes it's not as easy. And I think it may be even more challenging to realize when you have a need. And I think that's a, a lesson about life. And so this morning, I wanted to start thinking about need, what you need, what do you and I need? I'm going to be sharing a story from the Bible that highlights this. A story that as we once again meeting on a Sunday morning for Easter can ask the question, how long have you been doing this? And so I want us to look at a story from John chapter 4, verses 4 through 26. I'm not going to read all those verses. I'm going to summarize the story for you. It's a hot day and it's noon, the hottest part of the day. And for those of us now living nowadays in this part of the world, we can just say, well, go home and turn on the air conditioning. There are other parts of the world that don't have access to that. And when I grew up, I'm from Argentina, uh, on the hottest part of the day, which was from noon till about three or four o'clock, everything pretty much shuts, shuts down, banks, uh, buses, taxi drivers, everybody shuts down and goes home, uh, eats lunch. And you know what they do after they eat lunch? Siesta. Have you heard of that word before? Siesta? It means nap. Uh, my parents, my grandparents, my uncles, everybody wanted to take naps and us children, we knew we needed to be silent or we would bear the consequences of waking them up. And why did we take naps during that time? Because it was the hottest time of the day. It's not because we were lazy, but because sleep allowed us to escape the horrendous heat wave that we would experience during the summer. Well, it's very much the same during this time in Jesus' time in the part of the world that he lived in. It's noon and Jesus is by himself sitting next to a well. His disciples have gone into a Samaritan town to get some food for him. He's alone and he's thirsty. And in the distance, he sees a person coming close to the well and it's a woman carrying a jar. What is a woman doing this? If you read the rest of the scriptures, women were typically the ones assigned to go and get, gather wood, uh, water for cooking, cleaning, etc. And they would come in the early mornings or at the end of the day as the sun came up and it wasn't yet too hot, or as the sun went down and the heat was starting to dissipate. But at noon, at the hottest time of the day, Jesus knew why he needed to be there. And so this woman, who was accustomed to coming at this time because no one else is going to be at the well, this woman wants to avoid, kind of like what we are doing because of a health mandate to prevent this uh, sickness, this pandemic from continuing to spread through you and I, isolation, social isolation, 
we're, we're missing being with each other, but this woman is inflicting this upon herself. Complete social isolation. She intentionally does not want to have contact with other people. She's going to the well, and I can imagine her just another day going with my water jar to get water, and she stops dead on her tracks. Hold up. No one is supposed to be at the well at this time of the day. Who is that? And I'm imagining she may be hesitating. Do, do I go? I can come back later. No, I can't come back later. There may be more people later on. I'll just go get water. I won't make eye contact. We'll do what we do right now. Put on a mask and just get what we need to do and get out. So as she gets close, she's hesitant. She's just keeping her guard. She ties the rope around the jar, throws it in. And as she's drawing it with water, she notices that this man is looking at her. And then in a very friendly tone, Jesus says, Hi, um, would you be so kind as to uh, give me a little drink of water, please? Now you have to understand, she was a Samaritan and he was a Jew. This was just unheard of. This was just not supposed to happen at all. The Samaritans and the Jews hated each other. Jews looked down on the religion of the Samaritans and the Samaritans looked down on the religion of the Jews and they were constantly uh, deriding and insulting each other. They were not supposed to have any kind of social contact. Yet Jesus takes the initiative and asks, doesn't even offer, asks for some water. The woman, of course, is taken back and she doesn't say, oh, sure. She says, um, hold on a second. She just blurts it out. Um, this is not supposed to be happening. You're not supposed to be talking to me and you're asking me for a drink of water. And Jesus is like, I'm so glad we're having a conversation. If you would ask me for a drink of water, I would give you different kind. The kind of water that I would give you would allow you, once you drink of it, for you to never experience thirst again. And Jesus is, to, is trying to draw her in, trying to capture her imagination. And she's, he's trying to use what she needs to lead her to what she truly needs. And the woman says, you mean in her mind, if I take this kind of water that this gentleman is offering me, I don't ever have to come back to this place at noon and endure this heat to get this water. This is a good deal. This is a good day. I'm glad I came. Sir. And before she says, can you give me some of that? She notices he doesn't have anything. How are you going to get this water? You don't have anything to draw with. Where are you going to get this water that will take away my thirst forever? Jesus says, I'm so glad we're having a conversation. The water that I can give to you is living water. And when you drink of it, you will be so satisfied that that water will not just quench you, but become a spring of living water. It will not just satisfy you, but those you have influence with. This woman is taken back. She's intrigued and she's realizing he's not just offering me something liquid. He's offering me something spiritual. So she turns the conversation into spiritual matters and begins to want to bring up all these things that divide religion, that divide denominations. You Jews say that we should only worship in Jerusalem. We Samaritans say we should worship on this mountain. Where do you think we should be worshiping, Jesus? And then Jesus gets to the point of where we're going to be spending time this morning. Jesus answers her and says, what you're asking me in just a little bit will become obsolete, irrelevant. The reality is this, throughout all time, God has not been seeking for a building or a mountain. God has been seeking for people like you. God is seeking for people to worship Him in spirit and in truth. Now, I want you to, I want us to spend time this morning looking at that passage. John chapter 4, verse 23, But the hour is coming, and now is, when the true worshipers 
will worship the Father in spirit and truth, for the Father is seeking such to worship Him. So this is the springboard passage for the rest of this message for this morning. Uh, Jesus tells this woman, God is looking for individuals that are true worshipers, individuals that worship in spirit and truth. It's not the size of the building, it's not the outward attire, it's your heart that God is looking for. God is looking for something beyond the surface. We're gonna be exploring, unpacking this uh, by utilizing three questions. And the three questions, one, two, and three, we're gonna go at it in reverse. We're gonna begin with question number three, then question number two, finalizing with question number one. Question number three is the obvious question that we're getting from this verse, right? You may have already wondered if you didn't know this. I certainly asked this question when I read through this passage the first time. Who are these true worshipers? What does that look like? What does it look like to be a worshiper in spirit and in truth? Because that's what God wants. And if that's what God is seeking for, what is that? To be a worshiper of spirit and truth. That's question number three. So we can't answer that question until we've answered question number two. Question number two goes beyond the act to the motives. Isaiah chapter 44, verses 12 through 17. I'm gonna summarize this for you. And it's Isaiah, the prophet Isaiah, looking at the environment in which he's in, um, not a pagan environment, but Israel, God's people. Certainly, they have the temple, they have Torah, certainly they should be worshiping in spirit and truth, but apparently they're not. Because Isaiah says that, he sees a man going into the woods and seeing a tree. And he says, ah, oh, this is a good tree right here. And he chops the tree down, brings it home, cuts half of it, leaves the one half standing. The other half, he chops it up smaller into kindle and creates a fire. And as he, after he creates a fire, he puts a pot, water, and whatever, goat and potatoes and carrots, whatever, makes some soup. And he, he begins to rationalize. He begins to think from cause to effect. This is human reasoning at its best. Um, the tree has allowed me to cook food and I was hungry. I was also cold. The fire from the wood has warmed me and the food that I was able to cook through the fire has nourished me. My needs are being met by the wood. So it's a logical conclusion then, this is human thinking, that I'm gonna take the other half of the wood and I'm gonna carve it into an image and bow down to it and cry out, you are my God, save me. You meet my needs, therefore I worship you. That's why this message is entitled, What You Need. Because the Bible is telling us that every human being actually worships. It's not people that go to Jerusalem, it's not people that live in the Middle East, or people that live in the United States, Islam, Buddhism, uh, Christianity, Judaism, and the many others. You don't have to subscribe to any specific religion to be a worshiper. We all worship. This man did not say, oh, I'm a Hindu or, or I'm a Sikh or anything like that. He simply said, I saw a piece of wood satisfy my needs. Therefore, I will worship what I have concluded is satisfying my needs. This is not such a far and removed definition of what worship is or how we arrive at worshiping things. Whatever I think I need will become the thing I worship. I need wood because the wood satisfies me by heat and the wood satisfies me by nourishing me. Comfort and nourishment. You are my God, save me. You know, in my teenage years, it was fun, it was exciting, but it also carried with it some uncomfortable aspects, which led me to feel insecure about certain things and have low self-esteem about other things. And so there was a need, a need of identity, a need of feeling self-worth about something substantial. And so I discovered girlfriends. <laughs> 
I discovered relationships and I thought, man, that young lady over there, she's attractive and um, she's giving me the googly eyes. And look at that, I've given her a teddy bear and she's responded by allowing me to call her my girlfriend. You make me feel complete. Now I feel worth something. Now I feel valuable and wanted. You are meeting my needs. I will worship you. I will worship relationships because these relationships satisfy my needs. And you can apply now this principle that the Bible is so powerfully revealing to us to every aspect of our human life. What do you need? What do you need? Because what you need is actually what you will be worshiping. Many of us come to Easter with a true heart and we come to God and God wants that. But some of us may come out of custom. Some may come because my parents bring me. Some may come because, well, I have to bring my children. I want my children to have God in their lives. Never mind if I do or not. And we may be doing something more out of culture than out of faith. So Easter, what are you worshiping on Easter? That was question number three. We are still in question number two. And question number two deals deeper with the, with the idea of why. The, the answer to the why will lead you to the what. Why are you worshiping this piece of wood? Because the wood has met my need. Your career could be meeting your need, and that's your true God. Your job, the house, your retirement. There's an endless list. Just like there are multiplicity of gods from all the religions put together, there are multiplicity of gods for even a secular mind. Every human being worships, and we worship what we have concluded is meeting our needs. So we have already gone through question number three. I think we have a better idea of how to answer question number three because we've been able to understand question number two. But that is not enough. Knowing that we worship the things that we feel are, are, meet our needs is not sufficient. We need to go one step deeper. What are your needs? What are your needs? See, at the very beginning of this sermon, I became transparent with you and I stepped up on that couch. And if I would have said, um, what are my needs? And stuck my foot up in the air and said, uh, what are my needs? What do I need right now? You would have been like, socks and shoes. But if I were to show you my heart, would you know what my needs are? More importantly, have you spent time trying to see if you actually know what you need? Or do you think you know what you need when in reality it's not? We get our wires crossed between the things we need versus the things we want. When my oldest, oldest daughter Gianna, who will be also helping me with some of these uh, video productions, I'm so excited to be partnering with my daughter. Um, the whole family actually helps out. When Gianna was about four years old, if you would have approached her and said, Hi, honey, Gianna, what do you need? Without skipping a beat, Gianna would look at you with a big smile and say, The pink umbrella. I, I take it to the bathroom, I take it to the bedroom, I take it with me when we go out. It doesn't have to be raining, I just want to carry it because I need that pink umbrella. But that changes, that was this week. This week the need was the pink umbrella. Next week is the orange rubber ducky with the keychain. Oh, I, where is that? Oh, I need that, I left it here because I need the rubber ducky with the keychain. And then the following week, it's the little red plane, right? This is what I need, Daddy. More than anything in life, Daddy, if I could just have this, I would have everything. We may chuckle and think how cute for a four-year-old, but I hope you're starting to realize that though we may be taller, bigger, and older, we don't change too much from childhood when it comes to identifying what we need. 
One of the reasons why my daughter would say that she really needs this is because at that age, and even now, play dominates their values. They want to play it all day long if they could. But playing all day long comes at an expense. You cannot just play all day long. You need to take time to eat. <laughs> you need to take time to nourish yourself. And Gianna stopped playing, and now that she has a sister, of course, it's even that much uh, harder to pull them away from their toys and their playtime and say it's breakfast time, it's lunch time, it's supper time. I know my oldest daughter loves socializing with other children, and she would gladly forego any meal, no matter how tasty it is, in exchange for playing with her friends. But that comes at a price. Have you ever seen a four or five year old that is hypoglycemic, that they've skipped a couple of meals and now they're hungry? They were playing just fine, but when the game ends and the system focuses on our blood sugars down, our stomachs making that sound, they're not very pleasant to be around, are they? You know, I can tell my daughter, honey, it's time to go to sleep. Or at that age, you know, it's time to take a nap. I don't want to take a nap. The world is still doing so many fun things. I don't want to miss, miss a thing. But honey, if you skip your nap, you won't have energy to enjoy it. And if you are a parent, I don't need to go into too much detail as to what happens when a three or four or five-year-old starts skipping naps on a regular basis or going to bed late. Their emotions begin to be affected, don't they? Their ability to endure frustrations or, or solve problems, things that they have been able to solve in the past now frustrate them and they throw the things and I can't do this and I'm so... And then the, the emotions get out of control and all the while the mom and the dad are constantly appealing that's not what you need you need food nourishing food you need rest honey put it down this is not what you need this is what you temporarily want trust us we as your parents we know what you need and this is the heart of worship worship is not me coming to god and telling him what i need worship is the growing maturing experience in learning to trust that there's a god in heaven that loves me according to the scriptures and he wants me to call him father that i begin to trust him that through his word he will begin to reveal to me what i truly need you see this woman uh, that came to Jesus at the well? Once she piqued her interest and said, give me this water, Jesus said, we won't call your husband. Excuse me? I don't have a husband. And Jesus says, um, I'm so glad you are an honest person. You are very sincere. And I want to affirm that because you don't have a husband. What you have, four failed marriages. You've divorced four times, and the person you're with right now, you've given up on marriage altogether. You're just living with that person. Why commit? Why go through this pain again? It's easier that if it fails, we just walk away. That's why she came at noon. That's why she inflicted upon herself social distancing. And that is one of the many ways that we try to manage the fact that we are thinking, where she was so convinced marriage, relationships, a husband, that will give me identity, that will give me self-worth, that will give me value, that will give me purpose and meaning, and realizing I'm just as thirsty now that I'm married than when I was uh, single. In fact, because these marriages apparently were very horrible, maybe sometimes she wished she would have remained single and had never gotten married. What are your needs?
What are you convinced you need? Has that conclusion arrived through your personal study and asking God to reveal to you through His Word what your needs are? If that has not happened, chances are you may be following a mirage, just like this woman did. I mean, think about it. First marriage fails, you would think she would have said, you know what, this is not for me. This is actually, I was wrong. But no, she tries a second time. It was the wrong one. I should have known better, but never again. I'm never going to make that mistake again. Marriage number two goes down the tube. Marriage number three, I'm wiser now and I'm going to stand my ground. No, I have boundaries. I have learned so much. I have learned so much. Marriage number four. Why do we keep going back to that which evidence would tell us? Is it, has it satisfied you? Has it quenched your soul's thirst? This woman tried a fifth time and uh, this no longer, so she said, well, we'll try something else. But you know what? Anything that we try, like I tell some friends of mine, there's nothing new under the sun. We think we're a unique generation. No, we're not. We may change the melody, but the lyrics are the same. Humanity has been singing the same song from the entrance of sin till today. I am thirsty. I am not satisfied. Oh, look, a piece of wood. You are my God. You provide food. You provide heat and nourishment. I will worship you. Oh, look, you think of me as beautiful. You think of me as handsome. You think of me as successful. I need you. I need you. I worship you. Whatever you are convinced you need, that is what in reality you are worshiping today. What are you worshiping this Easter? Because you see now that I asked the question that way, you realize it doesn't sound quite right. And that's because the question, what you need, is a wrong question. The answer to what you need will never really find a satisfying answer. The question should be, have you discovered who you need, not what? So on Easter, we should be asking, who are you worshiping? Who are you worshiping? Here are some verses that I want to share with you from Jesus himself. Matthew eleven twenty-eight. Come to me, all you who labor and are loaded with so many cares, exhausted. I will give you rest. Put it down and come to me, because this will certainly not give you what you're seeking for. In John 6, 35, Jesus says, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me shall never hunger, and he who believes in me shall never thirst. Rest and nourishment. Without those things, our emotions break down. Our mental capacities to solve problems and relate to the everyday issues of life break down. We can't. We, don't, we can't manage these things. In Isaiah chapter 5, verses 1 through 3, again, the prophet Isaiah highlights the futile, useless pursuit of finding the right tree. <laughs> Oh, I thought this tree, you know, the, the image has rotted now. Mold has gotten a hold of it. I, I just picked the wrong tree. Look at all the trees that are out there. I, I know that I will find one. I know that one day I will find the tree that will fully, in a lasting matter, manner, satisfy all my needs. Good luck. Once you burn it, once it rots, like every tree does, every piece of wood does, you will find that you've been bowing down to a lie. Is self-deception. So Isaiah 55 verses 1 to 3 says, Come, come all you who are thirsting. 
come to the waters. And you have no money, come, buy, eat. Why spend money on what is not bread, what is not food, and your labor on what does not satisfy? Listen, listen to me and eat what is good, and you will delight in the richest fare, the richest kinds of food. Give ear and come to me. Listen that you may live. You know, the true worshipers are those individuals that have not just come to the Lord and said, what are my needs, plural, and then realize the answer is not what, but who, and receives that answer as the true response to their question. Lord, I've been chasing my entire life for the career that will land me to a nice income in a nice neighborhood with a nice family in. It's not doing it. It's not doing it. The more money, the more salaries, the more worries, the more anxieties. The less I sleep, the rest, the less I rest. Why labor for what does not satisfy? Colossians 2.10 And you are complete in Him. And that word complete in the Greek can also be translated fulfilled or satisfied. You are satisfied only when Christ is in your life not just Easter morning, not just once a year. Individuals that are worshiping God the Father in spirit and in truth is not so much about having the right amount of information. Information is not bad. Doctrines are essential. They're in the Bible. But knowing a doctrine does not satisfy you. It's the God who gave you the teachings that will satisfy you. It's Him and it's He in your life. Some of us may be realizing my Christianity, if looked at honestly, as honestly as Pastor Ariel getting on top of the couch and saying, look, what are my needs? What do I need? I have everything that I need. When I look at my Christianity, maybe I realize I won't have anything but culture. I'm doing this because my parents did this and my grandparents and my great-grandparents. But why am I here? Why am I doing this? Why? What's the purpose? Am I worshiping the God that this day is supposed to be celebrating, the resurrection of Jesus Christ? Has that resurrection, has that victory over the dead changed me, changed my life, my priorities and values? I want Jesus Christ to give me rest in my heart. Is this your desire? To be nourished. You want Him to give you rest in your heart and in your mind and in your soul. You may be watching this and realizing I don't even know if I have ever accepted Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior. And this is now an invitation that God is giving to you. Don't think that because you've been in church for a long time, certainly by default you have experienced this. Nicodemus in John chapter 3, an older individual that used to teach authoritatively in the synagogues, a man that knew his Torah backwards and forwards, a very spiritual, moral man, had yet to be born again. That's what Jesus said to him. You speak very nice, but your heart's still the same. You're not worshiping me. You're worshiping books, and you're worshiping this, and you're worshiping buildings, and you're worshiping pews. Ultimately, really, it boils down to you're worshiping yourself. I believe Jesus' death on the cross gives me freedom from the guilt and shame of my past. You know, on Easter, we see lots of crosses, but have you clung to the old rugged cross? Have you experienced the amazing grace that saved a wretch like me? I believe and accept I can have a new beginning for my life as I accept Jesus into my life. I want to be a new person. I want to be a true worshiper. I want to be empowered 
by the Word of God and the Holy Spirit to be a worshiper in spirit and in truth. You know, some of us may realize, I want more. <laughs> I want more. And this is it, right? Easter Sunday morning, what else do we do? Wait for Christmas? I want to invite you to do this right now. I want to encourage you to write somewhere, hopeawakens.com. Below where you're watching this, you'll probably see a link to it. What I want to invite you to do is click on that link and register. It's an event that you'll be able to experience in your own home through the same device you're watching this message. And it will nourish you spiritually. It will lead you to truths of the Word of God that will satisfy your soul like nothing else. It will reveal to you the heart of God. I want to invite you to not just eat once a year, to not just drink once a year, when you can be having this experience every single day. You know, it is, my, my daughter eats every day, but there are days that we struggle more than others for her to sit down and eat. But as her father, I watch over her because she's my daughter, both of them. And between myself and, and my wife, we make sure our children are nourished on a daily basis. And you have a heavenly father that has been watching you run the rat race without prayer, without his word, without his presence, and you are exhausted. You know, maybe this coronavirus, with all the headaches and tragedies and heartache that it has brought, with it, God maybe has used this to slow us enough down that we can spend this time that we would have spent elsewhere. Doesn't take much, does it? To put God second, fifth, tenth in our list. This message is inviting you. If you want to be a true worshiper in spirit and truth, you want to put Jesus first. You want to put prayer and His Word first in your life. And I'm going to invite you to hopeawakens.com. It starts April 17 at 7 p.m. I want to be praying for you that you will take this opportunity to break through a cultural Christianity. The cross of Christ will be real to you. That it will not just be a cultural festivity in which we rejoice more over a bunny than about Jesus. I want to pray for you. I want to pray that your heart will have responded to the appeals the Holy Spirit has brought to you at this time in your life. Father, thank you. Thank you that Easter, this one, has not been about what we did last year and what outfit am I going to wear or who's going to see me in church. This has been a more contemplative, a time that you have given to us to allow us to go beyond the surface. Maybe we thought worship is something we did on the weekends for an hour and a half. And Father, maybe worship, we thought, was just filling our minds with information. And for some of us, Lord, maybe Christianity was just once a year showing up and calling it a day or a year. And we're realizing that's just setting me up to live a restless, exhausted, thirsting, parched, always hungry, never satisfied life. Who wants that? Father, in your providence, you were allowing us to hear your voice speaking to our souls. And to the friends that are watching, Father, I pray that your spirit would awaken them a hunger, a thirsting that will never be satisfied until they come and surrender to you. It doesn't matter our age and it doesn't matter our religious affiliation, Father. Only Jesus can truly quench the thirsting soul of a human being. 
Father, do not allow us to be deceived with a cultural Christianity, that we belong to a denomination and we go to a building on a regular basis as if that constitutes the all in all of Christianity. That is not. Father, I pray for all my friends that wherever we may find ourselves in our spiritual journey, even if we are converted, that we will not feel satisfied, that we will want more. Father, this woman at the well, when you explained to her how much she had failed in the past and yet how much she loved, you loved her in the present, how much she was loved and valued already because of Jesus, that satisfied her. No matter what we may have done yesterday or maybe a few minutes ago, that the grace of your Son, Jesus Christ, and His blood can right now cleanse us. Please forgive us. Please save us from sin. Save us from our sins. Save us from the pit of darkness that the enemy has thrown us into. And lift us up to your marvelous light, the light of your grace and love. Thank you so much, Father. And I'm confident that your Spirit will encourage my friends to visit that link that will lead them, Father, to study the Word of God, your Word, that we have never studied before. So thankful, Father, for this opportunity. In Jesus' name, amen.